and talking to our friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. Hey, gang, check out all of our friends at Mignolaverse.com. This week, they talk about Hellboy short stories, which I love. They also talk the movie. They play the Hellboy board game. You can find our show there, so thanks to them as always. Don't they also have a video of one of them trying out the hot sauces? Oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> I think of all the different kinds of hot sauces. Yeah, that's supposed to be really good. I haven't, I haven't watched it yet, but it's I saved in my watch later. Yeah, I gotta watch that. <laughs> hey, speaking of the board game, you got the board game. I did, in. I did. It was yeah. fun looking at all those little things. And Man, I want to look at cool. all those little yeah, things. Yeah, we gotta bust that back out for you to look at. We're gonna play that. And yeah. We're gonna record us trying to play it. Let me say attempting to play it, probably, because it seems like very involved, <laughs> which I am excited about. It's also gonna be probably hilarious. <laughs> yeah, but we will do that. I shared my nerdy picture this week of me very happy with my game box. And so, yeah, stay tuned for that. We'll do that sometime in the future. And you got the uh, one from the Kickstarter campaign, right? Yeah. From what I heard, the, the retail version is going to have... The Kickstarter version has more in it than the retail version. Yes. Yes, that's so correct. So if I buy one, I'm going to be like, damn it, John's got the better version. It's got some little... <laughs> it's got some little... Which, of course, I love all the little extra deals and... They'll probably release those as like expansion packs or something. Sure. Right. The, well, little, the little bibs and bobs and One of the things that you. I was really excited about was I ordered... There was this little extra of the Johan... That you could oh, yeah. order that's mm-hmm. like, it's like his ectoplasm when he comes out of the suit. And like a crumpled oh, suit. Bitchin'. Well, Token. When, when they released the concept art for it, it was just a clear Johan. And I was like, that's pretty cool. I want that. But then it turned out to be so much better because it's actually two pieces. One is the clear ectoplasm Johan, and the other one is just the crumpled suit token. <laughs> oh, so you leave nice. that token, I guess, where you were. Yeah. And then the, the ectoplasm guy goes. It's really cool, yeah. Where you're going. I'm that's really pretty, happy that I got that. That's pretty well thought out, too. It's pretty neat. I want to help you paint them. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I really... Well, I could use some help. I need to figure out how to do that. I was actually watching videos well, about that to, last night. Well, I, I actually used to paint little D&D figurines. Nice. You get that little tiny brush and you got the magnifying glass thing that you're looking at it with and all the little tiny wow. buckets of paint and it's yeah it's super good yeah. i'm excited yeah i was watching some videos last night i was like i think i can do some of that so we'll have a painting party or something <laughs> yeah and i thought we would have a little bit more movie talk we had some we had a lot of feedback on the movie i'm not going to read all the feedback because then we'd just be here all day sure. and after all we're mostly here talking about the comics anyway some interesting feedback on our discussion Kevin Alford said, Aubrey said something like, when have we done huge reshoots and it comes out well? And the answer is most big films. You only hear about it when it doesn't work out. Oh. Also remember the first test screenings of the movie were intensely negative. So potentially those reshoots saved it. Yeah. So, so it's only I, the ones yeah, that you hear well, about that you think, oh, they did reshoots on this, but they do reshoots on every movie. And so the much. ones that are successful... You're not going to hear about, oh, well, they reshoots and it was really successful because we live in a world where the media is just a big negative poop machine. Yeah. Yeah. And And that's all it feeds you. Afterwards, I did think about it and I was like, oh, yeah, Rogue One. Oh, yeah. Rogue One had reshoots and that movie was phenomenal. Well, it it makes me, it really gives you a new context for pretty much every movie you've ever seen. It probably, all the movies that you loved had a ton of reshoots that no one really talked about because, oh, well, it went well. No news there, right? Well, that's so mean. Well, I guess what the like, fuck is that? What I, what I was, I guess, was maybe 
thinking about was when the studio comes in and messes with the movie. Mm. Right. Kind of like yeah. what they did with Suicide Squad. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That so, seems like more like what happened here. So I guess that you seemed know, like too many cooks in the kitchen though. That seems like they yeah. had 50 editors or something. Yeah. And it, it's just, you know, I mean, like, reshoots happen all the time and then, you know, it's just, but you're saying when you have the same cohesive team, it usually yeah, probably turns out right, well right. when as where yeah. you're changing hands or something. And again, we don't really know. I don't want to try and give into like rumor mongering. Right. Because yeah. I know that also Mr. Mignola was trying to be like, oh, well, you can never set the record straight no matter how much you try, so why bother? And right. he sounded so discouraged, and I just, so I would hate to, so I'm trying to shy away from talking about whatever rumors and stuff, because I think that's, you know, there are real people behind these projects. It's not just, they don't just appear out of nowhere. These people are real, and they're, despite what we may think from our our armchairs and sofas, you know, they are trying their best right. most of the time, and so especially when it's a creator-owned property, so... Let's try and be nice. Let's be nice about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I shared this week was I got the Art of Hellboy book from the new movie. And there's a lot of really cool Easter eggs in there. Edgar Sid had posted. What a pleasant surprise I found inside the book. I didn't realize Lord Glaren and Dr. Carp were in the movie. They were uh, two of the Osiris Club members. Cool. Oh. Yeah. So that's pretty. That's a deep cut. Yeah, I'm sure there are some Easter eggs that I definitely missed out on, so I appreciate people pointing it out. Yeah, I was looking through the book, and one of the things that apparently is in the movie is the visitor's ship. What? They that show is so like cool. the they show it like I guess very briefly, or I don't know. I I actually did go see the movie again, and I I didn't catch it, but maybe I just wasn't eagle-eyed enough. This is like one of those things where like I'm gonna have to catch it like on a Blu-ray because remember how at the end of Infinity War they. Thanos's uh, scarecrow armor. Right, right. Never, we saw it, what, three times? Yeah. Movie? Never once saw it. It wasn't so I was pausing <laughs> on the damn Blu-ray at home. And my girlfriend's like, why are you pausing it? <laughs> See, I was looking for that, so I caught it. Cause just because just I was really keeping an eye okay. out for it. So I guess you have to know ahead of time what's huh. going on. Well, that's true. I, I was looking at, the, I, I found out I was looking at the wrong side of the uh, screen. Because <laughs> yeah. okay. I was like, yeah. I was looking over here, over there, you know. <laughs> and Jason Abaddon pointed out that the headquarters is kind of a mix of the falling water and the Colorado base. Yeah. Right, because oh. it's on the side of the mountain, but it's also got all this, like, glass, very they elegant sort of gave it a little bit of a redesign. Yeah. 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 It looked pretty cool. Jerry Turnbull, over from the Mike Mignola's Art Facebook page, he said, Man, you crazy Americans. The film Guragak has a Liverpudian accent. Irish indeed, Faith and Begora. Oh no! Voiced by the fabulous Stephen Graham. Yeah. Okay, sorry, we're Americans. Yeah. Sorry, and that's not sarcastic. <laughs> I'm actually being sincere. I am apologizing literally for being an American. I'm sorry, but yeah. So liver, liver. What? How did you pronounce that? I probably am saying it wrong. Liverpudian. <laughs> we are. We are Americans. Pudlian. Liver. Liverpudlian. Yeah, that looks like. Is there an L in there? There is. Okay, liver, liverpudlian, liver, liverpudlian. There you go. That's a bingo. That's a bingo. <laughs> I also said that I thought I saw a frog monster in there. It's actually a goblin. It's not a frog it's monster. It's a little goblin man. Yeah, and well, there's a better picture of it in the uh, book. And Hellboy says... We thought that maybe it was a reinterpretation. Yeah, of I thought monster, it was, so. yeah. They're going in that last mission where... And we're spoiling the movie, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'll put the spoiler we're tag. So, everything that we talk about, there's spoilers. So let's go ahead and just tell people that yeah. ahead of time. Yeah, but when when they're going into that last mission, Hellboy says, Oanes, 
the Oanes Society. Yes, I, I heard you oh. say yeah. that. Oh, and yeah. I say the Oans Society. Oh, that's what that's what I had been saying, but oh, no. he said Oanes. We've been oh, saying Oanes. that wrong this whole time. So anyway. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, Maybe he said it wrong. I don't know. Well, no, <laughs> you would have to think that they would have tried to get the source material pronunciations well, well, and from then, and he also, Mignola. He said he like had conversations sure. with him, so he's probably He probably asked right. him all of that, like, oh god, how do you pronounce this word? What is this? But there is a scene where he says Brutenholm. He does. Yeah. That is so weird. He says Grandpa Brutenholm. That really, yeah. that really caught me off guard. I was like, what? <laughs> it made me wonder if Everything like, I know is a lie. It's very <laughs> odd. Oh, and did you catch in the last week's story where they spelled broom t- broom twice in the story the yeah end? they did twice. oh yeah, yeah 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 i did notice that mm. but i think they put it in quotes they if did. i'm if i'm not if yeah and one of them looked like he was like he was like american he's all like uh, broom yeah <laughs> oh sure 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 okay because he hears people say broom oh yeah and mark tweedo he had a good comment he said you don't go into a gory roller coaster ride film and then review it as bad because it's gory, fast paced, and loud. That's disingenuous. <laughs> that is okay. And I think that that was a lot of the general feedback about this movie. IAV Studio, they sent us a nice message on Instagram. Be sure to check out their podcast. And they shared our sentiment of positive energy. There you go. Yay. And they right. also called us the raddest mofos in the audio content realm. Well, I Aww. wouldn't go that far, but thank you. <laughs> I appreciate the sentiment. I appreciate it. Yeah, well. but going and seeing it a second time, I think like since I had already seen it and my expectations had already been either what met or dashed sure, or sure, whatever, sure. and you're just kind now of you can accepting actually watch it, the movie. just accept it as sure. what it is. I really enjoyed it a lot more. Let's eat some barbecue <laughs> when they're going to fight Gurugak, him and Daimyo is one of the best lines of the movie. That was a good uh, line. But it was really good. I, I really enjoyed it a lot. You just go into it and have a good time. I could use, a, really I could, like a five or ten minute short about Lobster Johnson. Yeah. I mean, really, <laughs> I could not get enough of that. Maybe like how they used to do the Marvel one shots, do like the uh, Hellboy one shot sure. for the Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. Be all I'll about the that. lobster. Yeah. Also, the last issue of BPRD came out this last week, so beware for spoilers, people. With that being said, I was extremely happy, and I'm even more motivated now to you know get through all this and get there together with all. Yeah, because I can't at this point. I'm too invested. I can't read it at this point. No. Yeah, I, I had can't. To, uh, <laughs> Thank you for also sending me that text to stay away from spoilers. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, out. it's just like, you know, like I see something, oof, skip past that, skip past that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're so far into it now, you and yeah. I, Aubrey, that we can't look at it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. At all. Like, so that's, we're at a point now where it's, you know, there's a point of no return. There's no going back. This is the event horizon oh, yeah. of these books. Like, there's no, you know what I mean? I think that there was once upon a time there John would have been able to be like, oh, check this out, but no. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just like like before we started this podcast, or we started the podcast. Uh, you can Hellboy's- say we. No, yeah, this okay. is all John. We. No, this is all John, for sure. <laughs> okay, before this podcast started, um, <laughs> you know, I would see like, um, you know, like, you know, I know about Hellboy and Hell, and I know how that all happened right. and all that, and so, you know, I'm familiar see, I with don't. what's going on. I mean, I mean, I knew about it. I, didn't know, I know that I didn't- there is a title. And yeah. that beyond that, I haven't looked at anything. Oh, I haven't looked at yeah. it. I just know it exists. Right, right, right. Yeah, uh, no, okay, same. Yeah. So I don't know really the details of it, but like now that this has come out and we're doing this, it's like you said, we're, we're all in the event horizon. We can't go back. Yeah. <laughs> There's no just flipping through books to yeah. look at cool stuff anymore. Now we're going to move on to some listener feedback. Hey, you 
We had some feedback on 1947. Jan Niklas came back. We didn't have any feedback from him, but now he's back. He said, not too much to say about this one, though. It felt like a setup for a bigger story, which we got. Mm. But it had the Mignolaverse vampires, yay, and Little Hellboy, double yay. There can never be enough Little Hellboy content. Yeah. My favorite scene will always be the last scene, when Broom and Hellboy play ball. It shows that Broom will always be his daddy and Hellboy his son. Little scenes that show that little signs of kindness make all the difference in the world, even if they seem more distant and seed of destruction. And when I posted about Anders, Ryan Rollinson said, This story is a great example of the enriched side characters in the Mignolaverse. If you see someone for more than three panels, you wonder what their life is and how it fits into the overall story. With Simon Anders, you get to see what would normally happen off-screen in what is usually, at best, just a preamble for the marquee characters to come in and have an action scene. This is what makes this world so three-dimensional. Yeah, we did kind of get like a spin-off. Of yeah, him, it's we? interesting that we're like, yeah. It's we'll, cool. we'll Follow talk about that, that thread a more, for a yeah. little bit. Well, yeah, I'm sure we will. And Joshua Worley said, This character is such a great addition to the ever-growing cast of the BPRD as we know it. The evolution of his character over the course of the next couple series is just amazing, and I can't wait to hear the reaction from you damn guys. <laughs> and we also had feedback on our story from last week, 1948, when I posted the teaser. Joshua Worley said, wouldn't it be nice to get Dave Johnson on board for a mini of Lobster Johnson or Hellboy? Maybe even one of the original graphic novels. And Edgar Sid also thought the covers were phenomenal. We also got a Hey You Damn Guys from Matt Strackbine. Hey, hey. Matt Strackbine. He said, 1948 was the first title in this universe that felt like a genuine spinoff. BPRD, Lobster Johnson, those titles felt like extensions of Hellboy. But this is where I began to feel some sort of disconnect. Not that I didn't like it. I mean, it's a cool comic for sure. But somewhere in the back of my mind, I began to think they could have been making more Hellboy or regular BPRD comics instead of these. As if the first couple arcs were enough, especially 1946. And once they got to 48, I was only partially into it. Good comics, yes. But the first Hellboy Universe stuff, I could live without. You know, I'm not even sure why that was exactly. What was my problem? (laughs) Why couldn't I revel in this part of the universe the same as with the other titles? The comics are made so well, after all. That was then, and this is now. These days, I can better see the whole picture and have a better appreciation for the series than when they were coming out monthly. So I definitely feel differently about it now, and it's great to hear you guys offer new perspectives and insights. I truly appreciate the book club for that. Aww. Listening to you damn guys read the comic makes me twice as bewildered as my initial reaction. Down the Road 1948 would lead to another miniseries and one of the few letters of criticism I'd write to Hellmail. Again, it's all different now being able to read a literal masterwork of intertwining arcs across so many titles, but I'll never forget how in the moment I was actually a little bored. Something I keep in mind today when I read a story I'm not quite embracing as a Hellboy fan. Maybe one day I'll think of it differently. I probably will. Interesting. Yeah, I, I thought like that to was some really good feedback. Yeah. Hear about how you're how that's all evolved for you. I personally reading all this because I'm reading everything all at once (laughs) just right in a row bam 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 and you know talking to we're all talking to each other like as a book club not just the three of us but everybody you know that we talk to every week and so for me I just I'm taking it in as oh now we're getting the the backstory the the kind of world building um setting the tone for what ends up 
happening and it's it's kind of like a weird cyclical yeah. thing for me so i really enjoy it just because it really sets the tone and i guess it's i don't want to repeat myself it's it's really the the set and setting yeah it, it's important for that reason and i'm i'm enjoying it because i'm putting it immediately i'm able to put it in the context of oh this is what professor broom this is why he right was yeah. reacting this way and this is why oh the nazi angle was so important because it puts it so much in context now why hellboy is how he is and why he does what he does and it's it kind of uh all of this goes out and affects the rest of these stories so for me i'm very much enjoying it just from that perspective yeah. i really like all that sort of stuff i like the whole thing about alfred was in the war and he was a, <laughs> the secret agent or something and you know i i, I dig all that kind oh, yeah. of shit. it yeah. puts so much more context when you go back and read the initial stories and go oh it's 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 a richer mm-hmm. i think it's i think it's a more rich more complex it really adds something to it for me i kind of get that feeling though because i felt this similar to when i was reading the Witchfinder. while i while i liked it and it was and i enjoyed it more when we talked about it than, right uh, after i read it my initial thought was like okay right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah now that's i was actually also going to bring up Witchfinder because especially that last one lost and gone forever i enjoyed it so much more this second time that we read it with the book club and that it just won't go away either it just keeps coming back up yeah. in conversation we'll talk about it in a little bit actually well, it's, it's everybody's like i was uh saying earlier it's everybody who comes in with their perspective and oh did you know this is yeah. how i felt about it and oh this is what i know yeah. about this culture yeah. and this is so that also i think is adding to it and uh, like matt strackbine was saying it's, yeah you know. yeah and, and yeah definitely every hearing everybody else's opinion really does help enrich the yeah. enjoyment of the story yeah. and that's why it's a book club yeah, there you go Edgar Sid said, I'm amazed at how Mignola Arcudi and Fumara are able to perfectly execute this story. I just want to touch on how brilliantly they were able to fit in Hellboy deciding to shave down his horns without it feeling tagged on as an afterthought or stopping the flow of the story. Ugh, it's just that moment where he's looking in the mirror with the yeah. sauce. It's still probably, the, I think, the saddest moment in all of Hellboy. It really is. The page in Hellboy's room was wonderful. With all the pictures in his room of men he looked up to, they were wearing hats, just like he wanted to. It was so heartbreaking knowing Hellboy always felt different, but knowing that he got laughed at by the closest thing he has to a best friend is horrible. Damn it, Archie, I know he looked adorable and silly, but he was just trying to show you that he could be just like you. Jerry Turnbull said... Pretty sure Archie's comment about He-Man is a reference to Charles Atlas. Yeah, okay. And he shared a flyer of Charles Atlas from March 1946, and the ad says... Yes, I turn weaklings into he-men. Yeah, we did. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, You're I, absolutely right. That's I, I guess great. it was a thing before he-man. It was already kind of like a phrase yeah, yeah, yeah. to mean like. Thank big, you, Jerry guy. Turnbull. You know, you're always doing that too. You're always pointing out the most obscure little. And I thank you for that. Yes. I do appreciate that. I can't believe I didn't think of that. And that's why it's a book club. And that's yep. why it's a book club. I completely forgot about those like hands. In the yeah. <laughs> Charles Atlas. And Jen Niklaus had a comment. We got two Jen Niklaus uh, comments yes. in one week. He said, yeah, 1948, another favorite. They should have stayed in the 40s. All the good stuff happened there. I like how complex the story turns out on a thematic level. We see how real science collides against the occult and how politics use the latter to have a reason to build more bombs. This is a good explanation why nobody thought of, oh, I don't know, harnessing real energy or maybe don't build bombs. 
because the people in power said so, and nobody wants to throw away their best argument to be the biggest player in town. You could also make a bazillion dollars with building those bombs, if I remember correctly. So this world stayed the same because of money. Money and power. I also love what complex jerks people in this story are. Archie is kind of guilt-tripping Hellboy so he can stay at his easy job, but seems to start to really like the little peanut. Broom tries to be all cool and smooth and acts like the man with the biggest pants around his men. Dr. Rayu may be scared, but she is also passively aggressive and very cold once you lost her appreciation. But Sergeant Yesler takes the cake. Sneaky weasel that stalks after Ryu and just nods to what she says so he can get in her pants. Well, since this is also a book about how superficial people are, they kind of deserve each other. And okay, it seems to have worked out in the end. And they are not worse than Ryu's superiors. Still, this is, people are a complicated mess. Why didn't you just burn everything down already, Hellboy? The book. The best thing has to be the idea of parallel worlds, though. Now, B-movie monsters are also part of the Hellboy-verse. And it makes the apocalyptic conflict of this universe even smaller. What does it matter if Hellboy saves this world? There are probably an infinite number of them where he did or already didn't. Good stuff. Sad that they didn't go in depth with it when Arcudi was around. But maybe we will see more future Hellboy in the BPRD installments. Hear you next week. And he also said, P.S. The references to Lost and Gone Forever totally flew over my head. Yeah, and that was that was uh, Mark Tweedo. He had mentioned in that discussion to keep an eye out for Eris, and so I honestly didn't even make that connection until we read Lost and Gone Forever, mm. and that story just keeps coming back up. That's yeah. what I was talking about. Yeah, Jason Abaddon said. Jason Abaddon. Yeah, book club member. He <laughs> said the bit with the doctor writing in her journal, and then much later, others finding it and opening up a whole can of worms is very much a Lovecraftian storytelling staple. <laughs> and Mark Tweedell said, yes, the She-Ra cartoon is fucking awesome. <laughs> it is. <laughs> he also said Hellboy the Midnight Circus is set after BPRD Vampire, which is why Hellboy has shorter horns in that story. It's also why Hellboy is still bald in 48, but has hair in the Midnight Circus. So glad you're noticing the Lost and Gone Forever connections. It's the reason I put these stories in such close proximity. Okay. Yeah, so oh. thank you so much for that, Mark. I really appreciate that. When I posted about Little Hellboy Smoking, Kevin Alford said, Such a bad peanut. <laughs> Yvonne Jones said, Only Hellboy can be so adorable. I was trying to think, like, who else could be adorable like smoking? Probably I just know, Hellboy, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, man. Pyroflux official on Instagram, he said, possibly messed up calculations, but isn't he literally five years old here? And Drew Campbell said he's actually three and a half <laughs> when he's smoking. Well, everybody oh, also damn. keeps re- commenting and remarking about how, well, you're going up really fast. And yeah. so I think he's yeah. aging at a oh, yeah. different rate or I don't know. Like he's, he's like maturing at a different rate. Right. I think once he hits like. Like a certain point. Oh, and then just, he just kind of stops. Yeah. Well, he is a mythical Kind of like being. Um, Highlanders. Highlanders, <laughs> yeah. Except he didn't have to get stabbed. Right, right. <laughs> when I posted about the crazy metal Beast of Apocalypse version of Hellboy that Dr. Oh, Ryu yeah. imagines, yeah. and it's all crazy looking, Ryan Rollinson said, I love the flaming heart. Very Catholic imagery here, but our big theme, so I expect as much. Right. Drew Campbell said, I was a little on the fence about Fumara's art at first, but this image won me over instantly. Sure. Great feedback. Thanks for all the feedback, everybody. And now we're going to get into our book club for the week. This week, we're going to be talking about BPRD Vampire. This is a five-issue miniseries published in March 2013. 
with art by the brothers Gabriel Ba and Fabio Moon. Hey, they're back. Yeah, it's a continuation from 1947. With colors by Dave Stewart. Yes, and letters by Clem <laughs> Robbins. And it's also written by Mignola and Ba and Moon. Hey, how So about they that? collaborated with Mignola That's on their cool. writing duties. I thought that was really cool. It also says chapter break art by Fabio Moon. Oh, nice. Editor Scott Alley. Yeah. This cover, watercolor look to it is just fucking gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I also like the way Fabio Moon signs his name. It's F and then a crescent moon. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, I'm glad you brought this cover up. So it's got this image of Anders and he's stepping into the water. And then in the reflection, you can see the two vampires on either side of him. There's a really cool image in the sketchbook where they drew themselves Fabio Moon and they oh, the, they drew themselves <laughs> with the awesome. with the two vampires on either side of them. So yeah, you can look at that in the sketchbook section. And what I wanted to talk about with this opening scene is they really take their time with the art in this book. There's not a lot of dialogue pretty much throughout this series. Right. A lot of yeah. it is yeah. just you're just absorbing the Mood images. Yeah. And it's very, and it's very paced. paced. Yeah, yeah. I really like that. And so this scene, just this first panel with just this hand before you even pull into the thing, um, into this giant splash page of all these, you know, dead, bloodied bodies floating everything, in the water. Everything gets a lot of room to breathe and you really yeah. get a lot of time yeah. to kind of absorb it. Yeah. And it really just sets this kind of creepy mood. If you take the time and kind of look at these bodies, you can kind of see that they've all been cut on their wrists and their neck. You can you can feel how cold it is too. The pacing yeah, allows yeah. for that, provides that to you. You can kind of hear the crunching of the snow, and you can hear the wind howling through right. these trees and the kind of crackly, you know, on a really super cold night. And it's just very super creepy, like you said. The kind of maybe the quiet water sounds yeah. of these horrible these bodies in this like water around in the water. Yeah, yeah. awful. Yeah, so. And we kind of, and like you said, we pan out more. So we see that it's snowing and we're surrounded by all these trees. It's a river and there's more bodies floating along it. And the blood from the river, it ends up leaving a splattered path off the bank and into the snow. And this is over several pages that we're just kind of following this path. Again, it's kind of slowly creeping you into this environment. When it goes off of the water and into the woods... You also see blood on the trees, like somebody's hands, you know what I mean, as they're touching the trees as they go by. Probably like steadying themselves or something. Right. We finally end up on this vampire, and we recognize this kind of vampire, right? Because this looks just like the sisters that we met in 1947. Awful. All the gore. Yeah, this vampire is eating a heart. So she has a heart in her hand. It looks like she just bit a chunk out of it. Oh, it's not gory, though. (laughs) A voice asks her if she feels how the blood is giving her what she wished for so dearly, to like, be young and beautiful forever. I like that look on its on her face when uh, she's like, can you feel it? And she's like, looks up like, uh... Right, right the motion, yeah. the movement of the gore. Well, oh, the yeah. Moment. Well, and then also the look on her face is like, oh, you just caught me snacking in the fridge at three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> look. Jeez. So this voice is kind of coming from off panel, but then when we re- when we reveal and we also see like she's turning younger. Yeah, I was gonna also. say I like yeah. this. I like this magical transformation, like the effect that they put. Right. It's clear what's going on. It's so it's right. It's yeah, well it's done. The blood and the heart from all those victims are 
rejuvenating her. Yeah. And it's Baron Koenig. We last saw him getting the shit slapped out of him (laughs) and getting his throat sliced by the elite vampire crew in BPRD 1947. And here we see that he turned the... Did he turn the Brazina sisters? Is he the one that turned them into vampires? Yeah, I guess. That's what I'm gathering. Oh. Or at yeah. least he's there at their birth or whatever. I, kind yeah. of, I guess that's kind of what I had figured had happened, though. And he's kind of walking with them through the woods, and he says, Behold the energy you were given, and accept she who gave you this power as your mother, she who embraces us in the dark. This is kind of shades of interview a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where that oh, yeah, it really is. <laughs> he's kind of like, oh, check it out. You're a vampire. Behold the bullshit. Right. And so it's, yeah, what kind of reminded me of all that. <laughs> Behold all the... Wonders, beauty. Yeah, the blood bullshit. of the night, the whole spiel and all that. I love that movie. I love the books. <laughs> I love that movie. Up to a point. They got dumb. <laughs> but anyway, before we turn the page here... As he's talking, it kind of pans over really quick into the yeah, trees. These guys. Yeah, these You see those little faces back there. These guys Right? Here. Did you notice that? Because this is kind of a new... The vampires are separate. We've had all the fairy right. goblins and the all this sort of thing. And we, these guys are different. Right. It's a whole different situation. We had um, yeah. the sleeping and the dead. Sure. That was the only kind of real vampire delve into the vampire world that we've had in this universe, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of a different level of whatever. Like, so there's like the witches, and then there's like the fairies, and then there's like all this other the Baba Yaga and the Doinashi and right. all of that. And so now we're we're taking a look at the vampires. What's their deal? Right. Yeah. What's their deal, y'all? As we read Baron Koenig go on, we kind of see that they're tied to Hecate, right? Right. Yeah. And so that's 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 what I'm saying is that's what was interesting to me. Yeah. That somehow Hecate is the common thread. Well, she was well, also the mother of Jurescu, who was sure. a vampire. Yeah. She's the moon of a thousand forms, so, right. you know. So is this, uh, I mean, is that is that why that the European vampires are different from, like, the American vampires? Maybe, yeah. Maybe they don't have a tie to Hecate. That's they, don't they, though? I don't know. And don't know. we see this, we see this raven, what is that, a raven or a crow or? Yeah, that's a corvid, for a sure. A corvid, yeah. Look at that I, guy. I think he has a couple lines throughout the story. She. Yeah. <laughs> and Koenig says, you are the Dark One's daughters now, just as I am her son. We are one and the same now. You will never die. And as he's talking, one of the sisters goes over and she kind of puts her hand in the stream and the blood is kind of just leaving this trail. I really like that. And I love a good transition, too, because the next page, the very next panel, yeah. same exact. It's just a very, yeah. oh, I love that. I love when people pay attention to transitions and... TV shows, comics, whatever it is, it's fantastic. You will never die. You will never be alone. And it cuts over to Anders, right? Because he's got those vampires trapped inside uh-huh. of him. So he will never be alone, but I guess. The thing is that it's them. And yeah. then that's where they are now. Nice. And that's why it's awesome. That is why it's awesome. Anyway. So is this like a switch from like Moon to uh, Fabio Luna Gabriel Ba? Yes. Yeah, thank you, Aubrey. I believe so. So I think that awesome. Moon is doing the vampire world and Ba is doing the real world. And so I think now that we sit, we're in Anders' room, I think that this is Ba's artwork. I love it when in, the animals start talking. I'm sorry. I know that we already passed that part, but I'm still looking at the that panel where the, I guess that's a crow, starts talking about moon of a thousand forms. So anyway. Oh, just to say about the transition um, yeah. from the hand transition, switching from one artist to another, that just makes that even cooler. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Because she's got her hand in the water and then he's got his hand on the floor as he's sleeping. 
It's the handoff. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> Good job there. I don't know. No, that was a terrible job. Uh. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Yeah, it was pretty good. And we see Anders. He gets out of bed and we see him get ready and pack his bag. And again, there's kind of this moment of him just staring in the mirror. All this kind of like, you know, there's not really any dialogue. Well, I love that we know exactly what's going on here because it's it's clothes all over the place. It's books and maps. It's cobwebs and there's a gun on the table. And it's now I know that the studios would probably try and cast Woody Harrelson. Oh, you always, have to talk about, you always have but to talk I, about who's going to play the... I do. I wouldn't cast Woody Harrelson. Then yeah, you know, Woody and Harrelson's I was, too old. Well, but hey, okay, I'm not trying to talk about anyone's age over here. I think it's you could be an actor no matter what age you are. Let's, sure. Let's, but this is a buff action star no, guy. No, but what I'm saying is they what? would try to cast Woody Harrelson. I know they would. What I would probably do is go with um, Gabriel Luna. Remember the newest Ghost Rider? Oh. Because he can yeah. play that kind of... I'm a guy, but now I'm a guy that's possessed by a demon, and oh, it's really hard. It's hard to right. go about daily life, and okay. I really liked his performance doing that. You don't know how tough it is. I'm a tough guy, and I have dark secrets, and I've sure, yeah, I'm a I have dark secrets. It's painful. Yeah, that kind of a guy. I'm sure, fighting yeah. the demons within, but sometimes I give in to them, and I become a weird antihero. And so it's. I was gonna say he just needs to have like that long chin that chiseled chin or whatever i think that he could pull it off i think he kind of does yeah i don't know if he's got necessarily the same physical features or whatever like he doesn't have blonde hair but i think he could really pull this sure this off or if you're looking for someone who would physically resemble him i think uh travis uh femel i think is his name who's that he was ragnar lothbrok on the viking show (laughs) that guy can do fallen guy oh i was a guy now i'm went through some horrible shit and now i'm this guy and so it's kind of a i don't know i'm i'm looking for that kind of an actor in my head here so the vikings is on the list (laughs) but you want a haunted guy yeah you want a guy that can play i'm the i'm the grim and gruff guy i've seen some shit man you don't even know (laughs) that kind of guy yeah let us know who you think should play andrews sure we cut to Broom's office, and Anders says that he's leaving. He's not sure it's the best thing to do, but he doesn't have a choice. He's angry all the time at everything. And he takes a swig of whatever this liquor is that Broom has. What what liquor does Broom drink? What, what do you think he's got well, over he's, there? What he's got right here is definitely going to be bourbon. I was going to say it's definitely bourbon or whiskey, uh, but then... You know, he's got a whole. He's got all kinds of different yeah. things. Yeah, I think he's, he's got, got some got old Shen Shenley, <laughs> and uh, we see this shot of little Hellboy. Now Aww. he's got his horns cut, Aww. and he's with yeah. Stegner. But he doesn't look. He doesn't look distressed though. No, he looks happy. No, yeah. He's, yeah, you know. But that's just one of those. It's one of those things when you're growing up and you you make these adjustments as a kid, and yeah. you get shaped by the people who push you around the most. <laughs> well, <laughs> at least I was. So I was thinking about this like like later in the week. Like, do you think Broom came home after Hellboy shaved his horns Aww. off and was, had a kind of similar reaction to you walking when your kid just cut all their hair off? Yeah. Right, right. One of those things. Probably. Why did you do that? This is me oh. now. <laughs> That's this good. is me now. Anders says that it's starting to control him. I'm changing, Professor, he says. And it's better if I'm not around anybody I care about. Because I'm not changing into anything pleasant. This whole thing, I'm taking a swig of whiskey. Uh, it's controlling me. Oh, my God. 
If I was Broom, I'd just be like, uh, all right, well, <laughs> do you want to maybe relax a little? And Broom asks Anders how his dreams are, and he's drinking too at this point. Oh, no, uh, Broom, An- uh, Anders brought yeah. him one. Yeah, he's like, right. sure, I'll drink with you. I like that. We get this crazy panel of just like these two scary faces, right? So that's what right. his dreams are like. Right. And he kind of tells Broom that he thinks he's dreaming the memories of the sisters. Well, he says, I don't think they're dreams at all. They feel more like memories. So imagine if you woke up. And I have this like horrible fucking nightmare disorder. I don't know what it is. But you wake up and you're like, ugh. You, that's reality right yeah you're still you're awake but it still feels like that is reality now and so it's one of those things which is like ah yeah. so i think that that's part of it probably too is that kind of uh sleep paralysis thing or whatever where you're yeah. seeing things happen and you can't you have no control over your motor phone it's probably something like that right he feels yeah like that's reality and that's what he's he's feeling it as though it's something that happened right to him to him yeah, yeah. so that's horrible and How about that yeah that is horrible and we kind of flash back to everything that happened in 1947 the with oda benga and when he trapped those vampires in there so why would broom ask like wh- whose memories broom knows yeah. <laughs> he was there yeah that's very he, and he's he's a little bit of a cold guy he's a he's a he's piece a, of work in this scene because he, he's, he's like a standoffish he yeah. walks away from the dead. Yeah, he is a little. It's one of those things where you kind of don't want to. He doesn't want to look at it. He wants to change the subject almost. He's very like, well, things happened and that's just what happened. But this guy's not just going to let that shit go. You know, Broom walks away from the, the desk and he says, I'm sorry, Simon. We didn't have much time and I was trying to save your life. I wish there was something I could do for you. As he looks out the window with his fucking drink. Right, yeah. yeah. I wish there was something I could do for you. Oh. How fucking blasé. And then Simon's still <laughs> sitting there. I love the look on his face when you're... It's the same look. I've had this expression where I'm like about to say something to somebody and I'm kind of trying to gauge what their reaction is going to be. Like, well, you could... Let me go after the thing. Right. You know? <laughs> so I, I think that this is such a well-paced scene. Again, I can yeah. see actors playing this out in my head. Yeah, and this scene, it plays out for a couple pages, and they really kind of take their time again for to let each scene kind of breathe a little bit. Yeah, he's like, all the, the monsters, let me go after them because they torture me in my sleep, and you almost get a sense that Broom is kind of like afraid to even ask, like, okay, well, where are you going to go? Right, and yeah. It's kind of one of those, he doesn't know what to say almost, and it's very, that's what I, that's, that's what I mean when I say I like these stories, is because you get an idea of who yeah. Broom really is, and, and this whole, yeah. it really enriches the rest of the, when you go back and reread everything, it's kind of... Yeah, and I really, also, before we go on, I want to point out, like, all the stuff that's in his room, too. I really like all the little sculptures and reliefs and all the little detail that they put in back there. Yeah, you get the idea that the rugs are nice. Yeah, he does have some nice rugs. So to answer Broom's question of where he'll go... Anders recalls the Hecate Party Times festival that he (laughs) accidentally crashed in 1947. And I like how the flashback has kind of puts us right back in that world with all that green misty quality and all that stuff that was going on. And I really like this because when we read 1947, 
we get like all these awesome shots. We get like the comic book shots. Yeah. But yeah. then here in his flashback, it's like kind of off to the side. Yeah, it's a fly on the wall kind of a. Yeah, from his and I really love this image of Hecate that he kind of sees. Right. It's like he doesn't really see her face. It's kind of in. Sh- like that's what yeah. it would look yeah. like. Yeah. You wouldn't see it kind of head on, all the... beautiful and everything. <laughs> you would just see some weird shape moving around. You would go, what the fuck is that? Right. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like, and I really. I think they captured it perfectly in that panel right there. No, no I agree oh, no. with you. Like from, I guess it's also like part of the perspective taking because from the witch's perspective, they're going to feel it and see it and experience it as this grandiose, right. artful thing. And so that's how it's depicted. And then like, you, like you're just saying, in this story, it's depicted as like if you were like trying to creep around and like look at right. what's going on. Yeah. yeah. It would look like that. Yeah, I mean, shots like Super that make scary. it. Yes, they scare me very much, and it makes me. It makes it very realistic to me. As weird as that may sound. No, yeah, I agree. But weren't also the uh, vampires kind of like, like off to the side a little bit when all this, uh, the Hecate party? Was yeah, going on? yeah, they were off to the side. You're absolutely right. Well, that's what he he turns yeah. around. And he looks the other way, and yeah. he sees all this other stuff. That's what I'm saying. It's just, yeah, yeah, because there's also shows that he was over here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking that way, seeing all that. Yeah. While these guys were, it's like like the equivalent. They were in the kitchen during the party. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and once Broom knows Andrews is talking about Hecate, he feels like he can help him, and he starts to assist him in getting a plan together. But we'll see more of that in the next issue. It's it's all this like dramatic irony kind of a thing where poor Broom. Just he's having a hard go of it, man. He's yeah. got to take care of this guy now that he's yeah. responsible for because he did something horrible. And that's what kind of Vivara was giving him all uh-huh. that shit about yeah. um, in the last one. Well, yeah, I mean, and she keeps comparing him to Hellboy over right. and over again. Yeah. Sure, yeah, you're absolutely right. Which is this? Andrew says he wants to find out where they go after the gathering, and we see him board an empty bus. Andrew says he doesn't expect to know anything. I just want to find the vampires so I can kill them all, he says. Isn't this a train? It's a train, yeah. Oh, what did I say? A bus? bus? Yeah. But I like the idea that it's an empty train car because it's like no one's trying to go over there. Yeah. No one's trying to go too. that way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the what you're trying to get here. Yeah, it is a train. I'm sorry about that. It, there's just something creepy about an empty train. Yeah. Yeah, because that's the you're like, okay, why is no one else trying to get yeah. to this place that I'm going? Oh, because there's some scary bullshit going on there. I really like this very last page where they show the two sisters... And so this kind of weird snake body thing, is that them? Do they have like snake bodies too? Oh, I guess or? it's trying to imply that they're the daughters of Hecate. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was something like that. Chapter two. This is watercolor of the sky. Yeah. Like the, oh, yeah. And the ground and everything. This is actual genuine <laughs> watercolor here. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's very beautiful. Unless it's just really, really, really good Photoshop brushes. Right. And I just don't know. I'm not at that level. <laughs> yet and i haven't found out how to make these absolutely spot on watercolor brushes or something maybe i don't want to imply something that i have right. no idea yeah. about when technology know. has probably far surpassed my actual experiential knowledge of it yeah let us know we'll maybe do some more research <laughs> on that i think there might be some notes in the sketchbook or if also. you painted this uh let feel us free know. to let yeah. us know <laughs> see honestly if it's painted by hand watercolor that's impressive but if it's done on photoshop that's impressive but in a different way either way this either way it's awesome impressive. and beautiful yes absolutely yeah that's uh, definitely agree with but, you there they're two different skills but uh, but both equally impressive and good i know what you mean by brushes and watercolor and photoshop <laughs> it's not as easy 
So, no, it's really not. Uh, YouTube videos make it look. No, no. no. <laughs> well, well, they they've been doing it a while. By the time they're giving you a tutorial, so yeah, a long time ago, I I, I wanted to know how to draw hands. So I I asked this uh, guy at the time I thought was a good artist. I was like, hey, how do you draw hands? He goes, draw a thousand hands. I was like, oh, cool. So <laughs> literally, if you want to be good at anything, you got to just do it a thousand times. Wow. Right. You got to do it as many times as possible. Do it every day or do it 10,000 hours. What's the thing about to be a master of a craft? You do it like 10,000 hours or something, something like that. Like or that. or yeah, 10 yeah. years or something. It's a certain time frame. I don't know. But it's. I, I think the point of it is not that it's a specific time frame, but that it's you got to do it a real long time and you got to do it a lot right? to be good at it. So anyway, either so, way, it looks good. So how many more episodes till I become master of podcasting? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's a thing. One time I was in an art class and we got to the uh, part about drawing hands. Right. And I felt like after this lesson was done, I could drew hands worse. <laughs> well, that's that's what happens though. Actually, as soon as you start to get better at something, you get a lot worse at it because now you see exactly how you huh. were doing it and how you need to start doing it, and that disparity seems so wide to you that you're like, oh, I can't. So you kind of have to you fall, you go a little bit, yeah, back up, you go back up, oh, you fall a bit, but you're not really because progress isn't linear ever in anything, anything yeah. at all, any yeah. experience you have, it's not going to be linear. So. Anyway, moving yeah. on. Past the cover. Yeah. <laughs> we see Broom, and he's helping Anders get his plan together. And Broom has all this knowledge of witch symbols. Nice. Is this good or what? It's super good. Uh, nice. I love it. Yeah. And Broom mentions... Except for the part where they're like, witch is bad. Boo. Yeah. But no, <laughs> okay. the I dig all the, here's a witch map, and here's all the yeah. sigils for the witches. I think that's pretty, that's pretty tight. And Broom mentions the court of Maria Theresa of Austria... She was the only female ruler of the Hasburg Dominions and the last of the House of Hasburg. She had a 40-year reign. Nice. And so one thing that was really interesting that I... And this is... I just wanted to see if this was a real person, and it was. But one thing that I noticed is she had like 40-something titles. Nice. So when you go like, Maria Theresa of Austria, Empress of the Holy Roman Empire... Blah, 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 blah. There were 40 of them. It cool. was a paragraph. It was a literal kind paragraph. Kind of reminds you of a of show many, that yeah. you watch every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> kind of reminds you of of uh, someone who hangs out with dragons. She's got 8,000 billion names. Well, Hecate has 1,000 titles yeah. too, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, she does. But that's pretty cool. I like that. You know, it's funny. I was about to ask you, had we heard the name Has The Hasberg Dominions? Sorry. I was about to ask you, have we heard that name Hasberg before? But then, like now that you say that, it's like I probably had just heard the name before, right? <laughs> and Hasberg it contains modern day Austria, Hungary, Bohemia, Croatia, Serbia, Slovakia, and the Balkans. Oh wow! Yeah. So yeah, it was a pretty big area. I wonder and... if that's a power move to have so many titles, because then when people come oh, yeah. to greet you, oh, yeah. they have to say all that shit. And you're a lady, and most of the people you're interacting with are going to be dudes. You sure? So they come in and they have to be like. Lady so-and-so of the so-and-so, and you're so-and-so, and I understand that you're better than me. I get it. I, lo I would love to just like watch her just stand there and be like, yeah, mm -hmm, keep going. I think that's pretty great. Broom is telling Anders of this story. In this court, there was this princess, Eleonora von Schwarzenberg, and she was a victim of vampire disease. And so this... face. Yeah. And this Eleonora von Schwarzenberg... She was a real princess. She was a princess by marriage. 
And there's this 2007 Austrian documentary called The Vampire Princess by Klaus T. Steinl. And it found evidence suggesting that Eleanor was suspected of being a vampire after her death. So there is some like yeah. historical significance to it. I actually watched yeah. the documentary because it's on YouTube. Oh, how was it? You can it? find it on YouTube. It's called The Vampire Princess, The Secrets of Nature. Whoa. How was and it? And it was pretty good. You okay. know, there's some very compelling evidence in there. But there's also some where I kind of feel like, oh, you're making a little bit of a stretch here. But basically, she's a Dracula. Eleanor von Schwarzenberg, like, there was all this weird mystery about her, and she was, like, apparently buried, like, away from the rest of the family. And, like, her crypt was, like, underneath this church and, like, sealed in stone and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, for all these reasons. But you can watch that documentary. It's very interesting. It's like an hour long. And so you can just check it out on YouTube if you want. I'd watch that. But one of the things that he talks about is that... Lady Dracula. Yes. Is that Svotsenberg was the original inspiration for Bram Stoker's legendary Dracula character. Yes. Many experts believe the deleted opening was actually based on a woman. Archaeologists, historians, and forensic scientists revisit the days of vampire hysteria in the 18th century Czech Republic and reopened the unholy grave of the, of the dark princess Eleanor von Svotsenberg, and they uncover her story, once buried and long forgotten, now raised from the dead. Badass. So apparently that was the original opening to Bram Stoker's Dracula. That would have been so fucking cool. So you can read all wow. about that, but anyway, I thought that was interesting, and we're going to talk about Svotsenberg in this comic. And Broom explains that she lived in South Bohemia in a town called Chesky Krumlov. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Have we talked about how that's probably mike mignola's like favorite movie oh yeah absolutely right and he yeah, yeah and he wrote this in collaboration with von moon so yeah, man. i'm sure that's definitely part of his interest that's and so cool. i'm sure that he's gone down this whole rabbit hole yeah because you have to wonder who's got that piece of lore sure they obviously oh, yeah. knew this thing about Svatsenberg already sure. so somebody already had that like in their back pocket well he and i'm not trying to he's a very he's a very um straightforward person he's you know his he puts stuff out on his facebook profile a lot he's like oh i'm in the studio watching this movie today and stuff so i'm not trying to be like a creepy creep person yeah. like he'll this is like public <laughs> knowledge that he really likes this movie and he he'll make a post like ah re-watching this again it's the anniversary of whatever i'm gonna watch this and so he'll always talk about this that or the other about watching Dr- bram stoker's dracula and all that right i really dig that that he's also there was some interview i can't remember you i think you told me about it where he was like oh i've got all these books everywhere about all these different subjects and so right he's really yeah interested in he's all got this stuff, library so. of all his folklore yeah. stuff I would love to check that out. I would love to see oh, yeah. like what he's got in there. <laughs> yeah, and so Broom, he sends Andrews to this town, Chesky Krumlov. And this is a real town. And they actually go to it in that documentary. That's where a lot of this takes Whoa. place. So it's kind of like, it's really cool because after reading this and then watching that documentary, um, yeah, you're just like, wow. You know, yes. it really lends that historical fiction element to it. So, that, so you think that that would be additional reading, quote unquote, would be like an additional kind of a, it was it, it, it would enhance the, it, the, this the experience is, this of is this. what happened last night i was doing my notes on this thing and i wanted to have something on the tv and when i got to this part and found out about this documentary i was like i'm putting that nice. on while i do my notes right and so on. Nice. i kind of had it playing while i was uh, working on my notes last night cool all right book club members you know that'll that'll be some set and setting there you go <laughs> Andrews arrives and Chesky Krumlov and he's greeted by Hannah Navarov from the Krumlov History Museum and she says that she was sent by the Communist Party of Czechoslovakia. Nice. And she walks Andrews to his hotel and as they're walking, Andrews notices that there are no men around. 
Hannah says, war hasn't been kind to this town. We see victory and we see defeat. And in both cases, our men are taken from us. And again, just a lot of good pacing as we go through this. There's not a lot of dialogue. We're just focusing on the town. And we're kind of, we're with Andrews as he's taking all this in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I like that too of the, um, all the, you know, the cobblestone roads and all the architecture of all the buildings all close together. And there are these women, they've got some apples. And it's very, yeah. And just very beautiful work here done in these like European towns. And it's just really nice. I like the woman making shoes right here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As they're talking, Anders mentions Swatensburg. And she's Hannah, so casual. Yeah, right away she knows that he's looking for vampires. Oh, you're looking for vampires? And he freaks out his face. He's like, what did you say? She goes, let's go to the castle. I'll show you. She's so fucking chill. And so she takes them to the castle. And she starts telling him about all this crazy stuff with Wilhelm von Rosenberg. And how all his wives died mysteriously. And there were no kids. And he got really mad that his name would die with him. Because there's not a lot of Rosenbergs in the world, right? So he cursed all his dead wives and all the women. And then Rosenberg left for a trip a few years later and he never came back. Then the Thirty Years' War happened in between now and then. And when he, and then after that, the city had been destroyed and Rosenberg had been forgotten. And the Thirty Years' War, that was a war fought primarily in Central Europe between 1618 and 1648. One of the most destructive conflicts in human history... It started out as a religious war, but over time it became less about religion and more of a political war for European preeminence. This it, may be, I'm sorry, we've gotten to the point where we see the um, the portraits now of this guy. Right. And this may be a little too on the nose, but considering the movie they made. But honestly, this is 100% Jermaine Clement. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's just a 1,000% Jermaine. I will hear nothing to the contrary as far as casting goes. Well, especially after what we do in the shadows, Well, that's what right? I was saying, yeah. He yeah. just like that guy. That's yeah. what I was just saying is, yeah, I mean, considering oh, the movie, yeah. I, like, I don't be want it to good. be too on the nose, but I can't see I can't see it as anybody else now. And yeah, we get this flashback of Wilhelm von Rosenberg, and he's meeting the Brezina sisters, right? So he's part of their origin as well. Looks like Baron Koenig brought them to him right after they were turned into vampires. And so Hannah, she kind of is telling Anders this whole thing. Rosenberg came back and he was Wilhelm von Eggenberg in 1622. But he sucked as a ruler at that time and he supposedly died in a fire. And then another guy that looks like the previous two guys, von Schwarzenberg, appears in 1693 and he claims to be a descendant. And he married Eleonora. So this guy just shows up and he's like, I'm a descendant. Look, see, the picture looks just like me. I'm a different guy. (laughs) Just just like in Highlander. It's pretty good. (laughs) Every time I kept reading the guy's name, Willem, I kept thinking of the Willem scream. Right, yeah. Oh, nice. So every time I see that name, I'd I'd hear that scream (laughs) in my head. So when he married Eleonora, the town suffered terrible witch hunts. Women were chased down, and Wilhelm would ride off in front of the wagon of prisoners, and he would return alone. And once he didn't come back, so Eleonora locked herself in the castle until she died. She was reportedly killed by a vampire. And Anders, like, he kind of snaps at her that he wanted vampires, not history lessons, right? He says that so forcefully, too. Well, yeah. She's, well, and okay, well, the thing is, he left 
where he was because he was like, I'm too angry. I'm oh, yeah. freaking out. I have vampire. So he's like infected with a weird vampire curse. So yeah, he's not no. himself. Oh, no, no, no. But he, he seems to be holding himself better than he did. In the yeah, last it's story. too much. It's really. Yeah. But they but you're right. They they make a big point out of it, especially with this. This whole panel looks like he's the exploding. color emotion. She, yeah. She's kind of like moving back a little. Yeah. She's kind of shocked at his forceful reaction too. what were you expecting? Yeah. Kind of like, what's your problem? And, yeah. and I also think sometimes um, vampires. What, what do they call it in a movie where they make fun of something before you can make fun of it? Pinning a bow on it, or what do they call that? Anyway, I kind of feel like we're getting all this exposition. Yeah, and we're we're here. We're reading a vampire yeah. comic, but we're getting this history lesson of this guy coming back over and over. So I feel like they almost put it Andrew's comment in there, so that way we don't go right, right. right. What the hell? I thought I was reading a vampire comic, and I'm just getting this crap. You right, know what right, I mean? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's like I, that's I don't us. Know. You're saying that's well, he's the he's. What, I, I feel like they do it before we can do yeah. it, oh. and then that way, so we don't have to do. We're like, ah, oh, I'm satisfied with this. You, yes, you accept it yes. as part of the story a little better. It kind of makes the medicine go down. You know what sure, I mean? Sure, sure, sure. Well, like, that's yeah. It's like they beat us to the punch. You yes, gotta do that. Yes. You got to do that, though. I, you're right. I do see this in a lot of <laughs> movies where... But a lot of people do it so sloppily where it'll be like... They'll have a character say something like, yeah, so what's with all this jaw? And I thought we were going to be killing vampires. Right. Like, it's very obvious that that's what they're doing. And it's not... You know what I mean? Like, that's literally that guy's only purpose is to say this line. And it's very... Right. They're kind of going through the motions of that. Whereas in some stories, you really are like... <gasps> Pins and needles of like, oh, yeah, yeah. you're so yeah. involved in the story that it's it's hidden. Yeah. No, I see what you're I see what you're getting at, though. And so just when Anders explodes, this old woman approaches and she grabs Anders and she tells him, you shouldn't be here. We don't meet in the daylight. Follow the serpent to its heart. And she grabs his hand. These two other ladies come and they take her away. She's right. Like, Follow the serpent. She's, <laughs> she's kind of like, having an O'Donnell screaming. moment Follow the here. Serpent. Yeah. Right. And Anders looks down and he sees Baron Koenig's rings in his hands. That's what she left there. And we kind of get a flashback. Remember, she, this old lady yeah. came and swept him up and all that, right? Yep. Anders tells Hannah that the old woman was at the ceremony he saw. Why would she give you the rings, Hannah asks. And we see Anders and he hears the Brezina sisters within him. He'll want these, they say. He'll show himself if you bring them to him. As Anders kind of snaps out of it, Hannah comes back and she says, follow the serpent refers to the Yaltava River. And it does. It does actually refer to that because I looked it up. And she says they can go there tomorrow and see what's there. And we flash back to the Brezina sisters eating that heart. Yeah. And so when we first got to this scene and she's like, yeah, we can go there tomorrow. I thought Anders was going to be like, no, we got to go there tonight and we're going to get some spooky thing. But no, they wait till the next day. <laughs> He's like, we'll go there. Well, that sounds like a sensible plan. <laughs> I think I'll listen to it. I'm going to go have some dinner, take it, go to sleep early <laughs> and be fresh and ready in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, this beautiful scene, I love I love them in the daytime in this like kind of foresty area. Yeah, it's really nice. And Anders thanks Hannah for coming along. She says she finds all this fascinating, chasing vampires and ghosts. She's like, well, in case we do find something, shouldn't you have brought a steak or garlic? And then he opens his coat and he actually has a steak in there. And she's like, oh, I didn't think you. <laughs> I like how he opens his jacket. He's like. You want to buy a steak? How about some garlic? <laughs> it's super good. It was really good. 
And Andrews shushes her, and we get a flashback again to that opening scene. I'm sorry, I also have to say that it was at this point in the story where I knew that she was going to die. Absolutely, this is the page that I was like, oh, she's dead. Oh, okay. She's dead. Because she finds it all fascinating, is that why? she's like, oh, yeah, wow, oh, this is kind of fun. This is a fun little adventure. (laughs) And he's like, no, man, I've seen some shit. He's got all the vampire fighting shit, and she's like, oh, I... I don't think you were serious, dude. Like, it's she is not prepared for this. Yeah, and so as Anders is coming up to this river, that's the river that we saw in that flashback in the beginning, right? Where they were coming out into the water. And it looks like like he's staring at right where she walked up the trail. Exactly. He says, we're close. Let's keep going. And he runs off. So I guess that would be a, a, a moon and a ball side by side panel right there, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I like to see it's like them half the page, yeah. Each drawing the same. It's the same panel, but in a different, obviously different yeah. time. Yeah. And so it's super good, especially on the next page. It's really more apparent because he's running, and then the whole entire panel is t- now taken up by Hecate's massive form. Right, and yeah. it almost seems like the top panel, like the background from it, kind of flows into the form of that scaly but that's what i'm saying is that the whole your whole field of vision i guess is taken up by that and that's really belies just the massive quality of of this as andrews is running in his head he's hearing that speech that conan gave the sisters behold the energy you were given and accept she who gave you this power as your mother moon of a thousand forms you'll never die you'll never be alone here's those guys yeah and we see those little guys again those little forest guys And so they come across the place where that ceremony was held. There's just all these ruins there. And Andrews tries to find a way down. She's still very like, ha ha, where where are you going, man? Yeah. Well, she's like, isn't it dangerous? And Andrews goes, didn't you want an adventure? And she's like, but we are all alone. He says, we're never alone, Miss Nodorov. Rude. He's going to get her killed. Yeah. Well, he gets on this thing and on this little cliffside... And right before it breaks, this bird is like, stupid creatures. That's yeah. that same bird. Right. <laughs> and they fall down this cliffside. The ground gives way underneath them. That's quite a fall. Yeah. yeah, they really go down for a while. And at the bottom, Anders and Hannah uncover this large underground cavern with like these ruins of this old city underneath, right? So they found like yeah. this underground city. Like these giant root structures growing. Yeah, there, it looks really cool. Although I'm having a hard time believing not one of them broke a bone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andrews has the vampire powers oh, point, within him, point. but yeah, Hannah. She's a hardy mountain woman. There you oh. go. So. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Chapter three. And you know, thinking about it again, like looking at this bird. See, in real life, it's easier to tell the difference, but I think just an artist's depiction, it would be kind of difficult because there's also no context for right, this bird. Yeah. So like ravens are larger. They're like the size of a, like a hawk. Their tails are different. Like the crow's tail is different from the raven's tail, and their their beaks are different. Like one of them has a different shaped beak, and they're like they have different calls and stuff like that. But just looking at the art is kind of I don't know what he was going for. But either way, love the way that he draws yeah. birds is the point of that story. I like um, I like that he's keeping the I guess Mike Mignola is also in on this, but I like that that they're keeping the whole. Talking animals as omens kind yeah. of a thing. We've seen that in a couple stories already. And I just really like the work of this underground temple as we open up issue three. Just a lot of really good pacing. And the whole book is kind of 
paced in this way where you're kind of slowly moving through the panels and just kind of absorbing the environment. It's such a relief to see people who yeah. really care about storytelling. And then when you, you know, you pick up some, I'm not going to name, but some of the bigger, more overproduced right. books, you really don't get that sense because they use artists that trace porn magazines and mm. don't really care about storytelling. It's kind of weird. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not trying to. I'm just saying, Story, storytelling is yeah. what I enjoy. <laughs> I really like the way they do the flashlight art on this. Oh, I know. Next yeah, page. it's yeah. super good. Yeah, it's really interesting with those circles. I really like that effect. And I'm also not saying porn is bad. I'm just saying like it's not a porn story. It's supposed to be a story about something else. But I don't get that impression from the way your characters are drawn. Okay, bye. <laughs> but no, yeah, you're right. The lighting looks super good. I do think that is a really creative way that that. Well, and that's uh, the mighty Dave Stewart giving yeah. us that wonderful color. Yeah. Well, and also just the choice of making those circles, because that's what it looks like when you yeah. have a flashlight shining right. it around. Like, that's very, I always love that attention to detail. Lighting is such a hard thing to draw. Yeah. And I think that's really, you, you get the impression of what's going on. Inside the temple, Andrews and Hannah, they try and find a way out. And just a lot of nice moody work as they're going through. As Andrews is looking for a door, he's again taken over by the Brezina sisters. Why leave when you're so close? Come this way, they say. And they lead Anders down into a doorway. So was that kind of the the memories kind of right, taking over yeah. his mind again and sort of they're, they're in him, guiding right. him. Yeah. So... Saying like she definitely can't see that, but he's reacting to something that she, he's responding to this. Right. When she's like, where the fuck are you going? Why are you going over there? Right, exactly. And so Hannah's still, now she's looking for Anders and the sisters, they gesture him towards this door and it has that symbol on it where Odabenga locked them away inside Anders in 1947. Mm, I can't be good. And Hannah comes. Don't open that. And so when Hannah comes after Anders, it's just a solid wall. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I noticed that, like, even the little the statues that are on either side of it, with Anders, they're fully there, and then with Hannah, they're all broken and smashed and broken. Yeah. Love that shit. Really, really cool. Anders descends down a corpse and bone-filled staircase, leading him to this giant throne. And again, we really take our time, you know, going down here, yeah. and they just really um, set it up really well. And he's, but he's going after like the fucking guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I just kind of can't help but feel sorry for this. I'm gonna be a vampire hunter, right? Or, like, yeah. okay, you're gonna go after like the main guy. Why don't you try and warm up with some like little flunkies first? Well, I think know? for him, it's like it's torturing him. So, sure, like, sure. either he's going to die, and he, I think he's fine with that, right. or he's going to get to kill this guy sure. and be done with it, maybe. I feel you on that. I yeah. Feel you. Sure. And so, Anders, he approaches Lord Wilhelm on the throne, and again, I just really love all this kind of uh, tension building as he walks up to it, and as he goes to thrust the stake downward, Lord Wilhelm catches his wrist. You shouldn't be here, he says. And he tosses Anders aside, but he's shocked when Anders calls him by name. And he explains his whole history, right? Well, I like uh, when he's like, um, if you care for your life, leave. I like this hand motion. He's just like waving him off. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's like, leave. It's very good, yes. <laughs> Love it. 
Yeah, Jermaine would do a good job with that. I yeah. really, but, but then you run the risk of it not being quite as dramatic because you keep waiting for him to be super funny. And sure, yeah, everything sure. he does is automatically amazingly funny. Well, you know, I've been catching up on Legion, right. and he's in there, and oh, he's, he's incredible. And in he's that not show. necessarily funny at all. In no, that. It's, it's it's very creepy and uh, otherworldly. His role in that in I, that show. I I don't want to use the word quirky. Because I know that there are better words out there to use, but I, I really do love um, him in that his his whatever you want to call it, affectations or whatever it is I don't know, but he's he does such a great job and it is very dramatic, but it's also very I enjoy it the way that I would enjoy if if Jeff Goldblum was playing this type of role. <laughs> it's not intentionally, you know what I mean? Like it's right. You just yeah. can't help but really enjoy help, what but, yeah. he's doing, and it's you know I'm yeah. not saying that he doesn't give a good dramatic performance. I'm just saying that it would be a very different mood than what this sure. mood is. Yeah, you're yeah. right. And Lord Wilhelm, he gets pissed when Andrew says that he killed his own wife. And Wilhelm says that he didn't. She made a deal with Hecate in order to bring him back. When he came back, he tried to bargain with Hecate to save Eleanor's soul by giving her many other souls in exchange. He knew that she would never be safe with him around, so he left. Lord Wilhelm says that he saved her. Yeah, and so they're kind of talking about all this as they're fighting. They're throwing each other around. And so we see Anders is, he's pretty indestructible too, you know, with his vampire powers. He's got the vampire powers. Yeah. Yeah. The Brazina sisters appear, and they tell Wilhelm that he just cleared a path for them to have fun with the princess. They made her pay because they were jealous. It seems like they were upset because they were jealous that Lord Wilhelm loved a woman, right, and not another vampire. Well, they're also kind of pissed about it, I guess. I don't know what that. Yeah, means. that's it's what it is. A... It's kind of like a weird. I, I I didn't really know how to describe that. I put jealous in my notes, but sure. I knew that I wasn't grasping Ugh. that motivation. What's that about? And Wilhelm gets pissed and he swipes at them saying, no, away, you evil wenches. <laughs> but they disappear. Sure. And Wilhelm, he wonders to himself if what their sister said was true. He had warned Baron Koenig and proclaims to find him. And just then Anders rises up out of all the gravel after being thrown into the wall or whatever. Right. And he tells Wilhelm that Koenig is dead. And that's just a really cool panel, you know, as Andrews is rising from all the rubble and everything. We cut outside with Hannah. She exits the castle and she sits on a tree trunk. And we reveal that she was asked to lose Andrews in the castle by these hooded people. I thought it was a fallen column. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. It is a column. I thought it was when I looked at it last night, I wrote tree trunk, but it was pretty late, too. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it could be either, but it's just No, because, it's definitely uh, a column. You're absolutely great. right. Yeah. yeah, and there were we saw those ruins earlier. And so, yeah, these hooded people come up. So now we're learning that Hannah, she had different motivations, right? She was being... This was part of a, a mission that she was put on by these witches. Yeah. Back with Wilhelm and Anders, they're facing off. And Wilhelm calls Anders a liar. And Anders responds by telling Wilhelm that he's next to die, and he reveals Koenig's rings. Wilhelm's shocked by seeing this. Welcome to die. (laughs) (laughs) He's enraged, and he's saying Conan's rings should be earned, and he demands them immediately, or it will be the end of Anders. And Anders says, I'm not ready for the end yet. I'm only getting started. And he lunges at Wilhelm. And they slice each other up pretty good. I really like the art here in this action scene. I mean, this guy's fucked at this point. Yeah, yeah. Anders, 
he's being powered by the Brazina sisters in their shadow form or whatever. But that's a mortal fucking wound. Yeah, and he's like punching down like columns and all this shit. You sure, know what yeah. I mean? And all this kind of stuff. So um, I just kind of really like all this. Really cool. Anders, he approaches Wilhelm. Well, first, Wilhelm tries to warn Anders. He says the sisters are crazy. They play a game you cannot win, he says. He kind of always knew they were going to take him down, though. He's like, oh, I don't give a shit about that. Yeah, he doesn't. He knows he's not going to survive. And Anders is so awesome. He's like all sexy, cursed vampire guy right here. Like, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So, no shirt and all the bleeding I and love everything. That, I love that you haven't seen Buffy or Angel or any of this, but you, <laughs> you know that it's a trope already. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, it's course. the whole Spike and Angel and who He's all evil this? and tortured, and the art is all <laughs> creepy and moody, and it's sure. just like, ugh, I could hear, like, you know, some other goth band playing in the background Absolutely. or something, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Like the uh, the Crow soundtrack. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that was just released on vinyl for Record Store Day. Hey. Oh, man, that's cool. Yeah, I really like that album. I like that Rollins Van Ghost Rider song. That is the best song <laughs> of any song. soundtrack. I will fight you. I like how he breaks off this statue. Yeah. With knife. He's just like, crank. He breaks off the statue hand, then the statue hand has a knife on it. I don't care about winning, Lord Wilhelm, Andrew says, as long as you lose. And he runs Wilhelm through. Oh. And then he reaches back with his other hand and he pulls out his heart. Uh. Gruesome. Yeah. <laughs> and he stands over Wilhelm. And as Wilhelm's dying with his dying breath, he says, death. Death is the goal of my weary soul. All right, John, I need to know if this is a poem or what. This is a quote from the poem Lenore by Gottfried August Bo- Berger. Okay. Berger. What is, what is Berger but with those two dots over the U? Well, anyway, it's from this... Burger. Burger. I have no idea. Who lived from 1747 until 1794. He was a German poet whose ballads were very popular, and his most famous being Lenore. So did he write poetry in German? Yes. So this poem, Lenore, this woman, her... I don't know if it's her husband or her boyfriend. His name's William. He goes off to battle in the Thirty Years' War. We talked about that reference earlier, and she's upset that he doesn't he doesn't come back. And then so one night he does come back, and he's riding this black horse. And so she goes out and she parties with him all night on the black horse. And then when the sun comes up, he turns into a fucking skeleton. Yikes! And then uh, she sinks into hell and dies. Oh, well, but she didn't. Damn. <laughs> I mean, was she? She didn't. She didn't know. That he was so, a skeleton. That's something rude. like that. And so rude. in the in the beginning of the poem where she's she's basically like crying to her mom about how much she misses William. Right. And that's what she says. She says, Death is the goal of my weary soul. Does so she's just... saying, like, I'm so upset that I'd rather die. Right. No, I know what she's saying, yeah. but do the words goal and soul rhyme in German as well? Or is it just like an it just happens to rhyme in English? It's really interesting. Yeah, I I was looking at some of the translations, and that's the generally accepted translation of it. Huh. Yeah, actually, in the translation, you know, when she sinks into the ground and dies or whatever, there's actually part of the translation kind of hints that she will be forgiven. Okay. You know that her soul will be forgiven. All right. Or something like that. Cool. Anyway. Okay. But it's basically like she shouldn't have gone with this evil version of William that showed up at like he shows up at night with his I'm black sure horse. I'm sure she didn't know that he was the evil version of anyway. William. Anyway, 
Well, and but it's I think it's an appropriate um, reference, whatever, and and because he's forlorn for his lost lady love, and there, yeah, that's the whole situation. Yeah, and, but from I from the poem. But I also really like, and again, you get this with kind of this slow pacing. I kind of feel like Andrews is also thinking that too, right? Because oh, yeah, he kind of sure. wants to oh, die too. Does. You know, he's he's very yeah. tortured character. Inside him, we see that door again, ah. right? On that last panel, we end on that door. Chapter four. And so we open up chapter four with a flashback. We see Eleanor, and this is where she's making the deal with Hecate. And I really like Hecate behind this pillar. Oh, it's so good. It's really cool, oh, her yeah. sneaking around back there. I just love the way that's drawn. We see the statue of the Black Goddess that we've seen a couple times in various stories. And so we see the deal being made. Suddenly, there's blood everywhere. And then we also see Eleanor meet Wilhelm for the first time. But he looks like Anders, right? He does. And he says, that, again, that line, death. Death is the goal of my weary soul. Yeah, so I thought this was an interesting flashback. Like, oh, okay, Anders pulled out Wilhelm's heart. And then did he eat that? I don't know if he ate it or not. I didn't think he ate it. Did he just pull it out? Because I'm wondering if like he's having memories now of him. Well, his eyes are glowing when he pulls it out, but um, it doesn't show him eating. So right. They were there. This is weird. Yeah, it is weird. Yeah, so there's this kind of weird flashback dream thing that happens in the beginning of the issue. I'd love to hear the listener feedback on what you guys think about that scene, or how you interpret it at least. Back in the real world, we see Anders, and he's walking out of the underground cavern back outside. The witches call to him. And they say their queen's blood runs through his veins, even though she does not recognize him as her son. You're a freak, they tell him. Oh, because of because of the way it happened, because of right. how it happened. Yeah. Because like that's a whole yeah weird thing. Yeah, because Koenig was saying that the two sisters are daughters of Hecate now, and so I guess technically since they're inside of him. But no, because a guy put him in there that would probably fight hecate right yeah so and this guy's like i don't like this at all i don't like this situation yeah so we see andrews he confronts all the witches well and he recognizes one of them he's like you gave me these rings right what's the deal with this and they say they foreseen his coming and they made sure he'd come to the sacred spot for hecate's bidding and now i see that this is probably a crow just because of this panel here you see his little feet yeah he looks little he looks like a little crow but he's like, kill him, kill him now. That's kind of harsh. And so he's like, where's Hannah? And they go, she played her part. We sent her back to town. And he's like, okay, so what now? They tell Anders he has no respect for Hecate's children. And yet you have two trapped inside of you. The worst two, Yeah, the a goat, goat has says. to chime in. <laughs> the goat is so pissed off he has to chime in. The yeah. worst two. <laughs> Damn it, you forget it every time. They want to escape and we can't let that happen, the witches tell Anders. And what do you think you can do, witch, Anders says. And he starts to get his vampire powers from the sisters. Vampires have been killing witches on these grounds for centuries, old hag. And Hecate is more than happy to receive your blood. As she keeps us strong. Now, this is some more of that. This is interesting. I find it interesting. Yeah. The whole, oh, witches and vampires have been fighting. Right. So that's a whole new insight that I'm like, okay, y'all aren't pals. That's that's fine. It's weird that they're not pals because they both worship Hecate. Well, I don't know. Find it weird because I've all, uh, this whole time I've been like, no, witches aren't this. This isn't. Well, witches and vampires have traditionally been like, yeah, no, they're bad. Right. Don't fuck with that. (laughs) 
So this is kind of the first time that uh, anyone's tried to make a distinction at all, right? Yeah, between witches and whatever else, monsters and shit, you know. And as they're standing up to Anders, they kind of like they all hold hands and they're kind of trying to cast a spell. And they say, "We fear not evil." So yeah. it's like yeah. it's like the, you have to be pretty bad if the witches see you as evil, well, no, right? They, they're not I'm, evil. That, yeah, that's, that's what, what I'm yeah. saying. Is this is the first time anyone's tried sure, to make a yeah, distinction? I've been that. trying to talk about this this whole time is that this is a this is a very weird you know classic kind of uh halloween witches yeah, like yeah. oh witches are of course they're bad but no actually and i've been try- trying to say like no actually shamanism is good yeah witches were you know genocided for a long time and that's why now everyone in this society that we inhabit considers witches to be gross and bad because you know right christians were like no, let's make it so witches is gross and bad, and then everyone will think that, and that's what we want, and it's brainwashing. And so, but this is the first time we've seen in within the Hellboy yeah. universe. Yeah, we don't. We're not afraid of evil together with the earth. Yes, together we're with the night, doing this stuff now, and so that's kind of a more of a classic, I guess, yeah. background. Yeah. And they shoot all this lightning down at Anders. And so that looks pretty bad. And so we get this scene like there's all this dust now. They can't see, you know. And then as the dust settles, Anders jumps back out. But now he's a vampire spider. He's a spider monster ghost. Spider ghost. This kind vampire. of reminds me. Yeah. Uh, kind of reminds me a little bit of Guy Davis's work on the Black Flame and the Killing Ground, oh, where yeah. he draws like these kind of scratchy yeah. black, yeah. kind of moving things, and um, it's really scary. You know, he's got like these sharp. It, it just kind of looks like a shape the legs sure. and he's kind of like stabbing all the witches with it, them it's almost kind of like he's like made of like smoke or gas right yeah sure. you really get the sense of that yeah and like a, like a better smoke monster right <laughs> the <laughs> witches he, are freaking out he just starts skewering all of them right yeah and they start screaming about hecate and they're like moon goddess come on down here this is freaking us out right please help well first they did the lightning spell yeah. to like shoot him with all the lightning and then they do another one to bring all these flaming zombies out of the ground and so now the vampire ghost has to stab all the fire dead guys <laughs> they're on and, fire and again we've been mentioning bond moon they're really kind of taking their time with the pacing of this so all this kind of action goes on over several pages. I just oh, yeah. really love this view right here as they're kind of holding hands. Yeah. And Andrews is in the background as a spider thing. Like, there's just something about that panel I really, I really enjoy. Yeah. I like this Billy Goat that comes out. He's very intense. Oh, yeah. He says death. I like him. <laughs> He's super good. Yeah. And so these action beats. This goes on for quite a while. Yeah. It's really nice. And there's a lot of mood. Andrews and the witches face off for a few pages. And it's really worth busting out your trades to check out the artwork. The fight really ramps up, and it just kind of keeps going crazier and crazier. First, there's yeah. just kind of the fire, and then there's fire and lightning and all the zombies. And these giant kind of vampire faces of the sisters, too, are really unsettling. It's done in a way that evokes a lot of motion and just a lot of kinetic energy throughout this whole scene. Yeah. There's a lot going on there. And it's and it's all laid out very well. So there is a lot going on, but it doesn't feel busy at any point. Right. Points. And then the next yeah. the very next page is uh very quiet, calm. There's an old lady like kind of puttering around and then, you know, you see someone on a phone call kind of a deal. Right. And it's just very the, it's just a, such a sudden 
transition. Well, yeah, I want to. I like that. Before it transitions, though, we see Andrew is getting overwhelmed, even in, with this spider form yeah. or whatever. Yeah. He's getting overwhelmed by all these zombies, and they're kind of overtaking the whole thing. And it's all just going up in more flames, and then more lightning comes down. <laughs> and so we're just like, oh, shit, what happened? And then it cuts over to this quiet yeah. scene. But she's uh, she's calling Professor Broom, uh, Hannah's, and she's like, oh, I've got bad news, you know, and I guess you already knew what was going to go down here. And she has amazing eyebrows, by the way. I love them. Oh, yeah. Nice so eyebrows there. She's trying to say, hey, notify this dude's family because he's 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 probably dead. Someone should come get his body right, and all yeah. this shit. And she hangs up and then something very menacing it looks like it's going on. Yeah, Andrews is right behind her and he's all bloodied. So Very scary. So he survived that sure. fight with the witches and he's all probably crazy with the Brazina sisters inside yeah. of him. Doesn't look good. But when Hannah's going through his stuff, one thing I thought was kind of sweet, he's got a picture of Stegner in there and a picture of Margaret. Yeah. And so he comes off as a very cold character. Yeah. But we see that he does have these like little mementos around of him with these other people who are close to him. So Aww. I do kind of like seeing that there's some of his humanity left over. Thinking of his humanity and then we turn the page and he's creeping up behind yeah. Hannah all scary and bloody. Well, I mean, I also kind of got the feeling like that um, she was doing like a preemptive call. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to have him. He's going to be killed there. Oh, so, yeah. Because, you know, she was like, I did what I was she told. She was in on it. And right. all that kind of stuff. And then now she's like, oh, yeah, your boy's dead. And you turn the panel and it's like, no, he's not. And right. I just heard you calling Broom saying that you were dead. Exactly. So, That's not good for her. Yeah. I didn't get that impression, though. Yeah, but you're, no. I, right. I think you're absolutely sure, right. Sure, yeah. Reading. But I yeah. didn't, yeah, I didn't get that the first read. So that's interesting. And back in the forest, the dust is still settling after that enormous fight and all the lightning and the fire. And then we just see all the carnage of the woods. And well, the open door, that splash page of the open door is very right, yeah. ominous Ooh, at yeah. the end there. Yeah, but we also see, is this the hotel too, right? I thought so. So that's where Hannah was. So she is dead, I'm thinking, from yeah, this panel, definitely. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then we end on that last uh, shot of the door open and all the kind of mist coming out of it. So, yeah, very ominous ending. When I turned that panel and I saw that open door, I was like, ooh, fuck. Yeah, yeah it's bad. He's, he's not in control, and he was even telling Broom earlier that he didn't feel like he was in control anymore. Didn't Odabenga also tell, tell him he didn't know how long this yeah, you know, would last? Yeah, he said maybe two years, maybe ten. Yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right. We open Chapter 5 in the BPRD headquarters in Fairfield, Connecticut. Remember when I used to say that all the time? Yeah. yeah. Ah, those were the days. <laughs> really love Sleeping Hellboy there. Little, he's so cute. He's yeah. Just, like, and Broom checking on him. It's just, that's adorable in this horrible vampire story. <laughs> yes. Outside, Vivara asked Broom if he told Hellboy he was leaving in the morning to fix his mistake. And Broom says, I didn't see any point in worrying him. And Broom asks how this is his mistake. He didn't know that this would happen, but Vavara says he did know, right? I hoped, Broom says, that he would be free of his curse. Vavara says, things did not go as planned, yes? Now you have to go out and play, and that's when the fun starts. You think you can save the monsters you keep. You think you can control them. But can you do what needs to be done when your monsters get out of control? And we cut over to Hellboy again, sleeping. So this Zavara character is really intriguing. Yeah. The fact that, I mean, it's making me think, okay, granted, you probably already know because you've read further than <laughs> I have, but it's making me think, like, 
was she always there with him? Like when he got attacked by the frogs and see the destruction, was Favara there? Oh, okay. Or you know, I mean, did she just hang out with him? Is this what she does now? I'm hanging out with Broom. Right, <laughs> right. I think we will find out. Like I say, very intriguing. We cut to Chesky Krumlov and Broom learns from a soldier of all the carnage and that the blood leads to a castle. Whatever killed all those people is still in there. And again, just some lovely artwork too as they're going through the town. Some lovely carnage. (laughs) Yeah, really. So we get this moment where Broom goes in on his own and the guard's like, sir, I don't think that's a good idea. And Broom goes, neither do I, soldier. Neither do I. And we just see him go in, and he's following the trail of blood up these stairs. But yeah, I mean, for all of Broom's character defects, one thing that these 40 stories have really kind of shown me is like how like he's kind of a badass. He kind of just goes like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to do this shit, and let's just do it right now or whatever. And I, I do like that about his character. I do like learning that about his character, that he's just like willing to go on it all in. Anders is his soldier. He feels responsible for it. Vivar is telling him that he's responsible for it. So he's like, I'm just going to go in there and take care of this shit myself. Well, and then also with the, um, when the soldier's like, I don't think that's a good idea. And he's like, neither do I, soldier. It actually kind of also portrays it, you know, this is a scary situation. Broom is probably scared, but you, right. know, you have to fight through your fear. Yeah. And, you know, don't let it overtake you. I mean, I also like in here. All the um, Williams' faces have been ripped off. Yeah, all the faces on Wilhelm have been torn off the all the paintings, yeah. yeah. And inside, he finds Anders, and he confronts the professor, and asks him if he's there to kill him before he just bats him away. All these killings, Simon. Were you? Broom asks. Their blood makes me stronger, Anders says. Gives me more power. Listen to yourself, Simon, Broom says. You sound like one of them. The sisters. They're gone, Anders says. I'm in charge of my own soul now. And it still seeks revenge. Now I can go after all vampires, Professor, because I see the world as one of them. I see colors I had never seen before, smells I never felt. I am awakened to a new world, and this world has awakened to me. Everything now has a voice, and I can hear them as they whisper. And he puts his hand on the wall, and he hears this one of those little creatures that we saw earlier in the forest saying more. All right. So going back to your interview with a vampire comment. Right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's exactly what Louis said when he woke up after being a vampire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the book, at least. Oh, no, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you ever felt a vampire's heart in your hand, Professor Anders asks? It feels good. And he just starts laughing. He's got the crazy vampire teeth and everything. It's almost got a good Joker laugh kind of thing. Yeah, and even his mannerisms, he seems like he's very grand. Like he's almost taken on that kind of manner, right. the mannerisms of a classic vampire. And that's why I like, I just, from earlier, I didn't, I really didn't get the sense that Hannah was nefarious in any way. I kind of just got the impression that she actually was sad about the right. fact that this guy probably was dead. And maybe that's the right reading on it, but. The fact that Anders approaches her while she's making that call does not look good for her in any event. I guess, event, but I, right? I, I really got the idea that she was sincerely unhappy about this. Right. And that she, she really oh, seemed yeah. to sure. be genuine. Because there's no one else around. Why is she going to act so upset and sad? Right, yeah. like yeah. You know what I mean? Well, but I she would have like a smirk or a smile on her face, right? Yeah. She, when she's <laughs> hanging got up the phone, she'd be like smirking or something. like yeah. yeah. But then like he's coming up behind her. He looks feral. Yeah. yeah. It looks like a feral, just like bloodlust kind of a fucking thing. I keep going back and forth on it, but yeah, you're probably right about about Hannah. I don't know. 
It's just a very tumultuously emotional yeah. kind of a story. Anyway, continue. Andrews, he's kind of going through the hallways and he tells the professor, the broom is running off now. And Andrews says, why hide, professor? If I was going to kill you, don't you think you'd be dead already? What stop you then, broom says. You insult me. You saved my life once, professor, Andrews says. I'll always remember that. You're my friend. Don't be afraid. You will live to see my quest complete. To give me reason. And so we see that Broom is kind of opening the window and letting some of the curtain out. And then outside the... They're pointing up at Yeah, the guards are seeing it. Once I'm done, you'll understand, Andrews says. And as he walks towards Broom, we get a cutaway again to the outside in the forest. And we see these little guys again saying more. You've gone crazy, Broom says. You were a sailor once, Simon. Can't you see you're heading straight into the storm? This page, not only is it beautifully rendered by the artist, but it also really gives me the impression. And we're building up to something that it reminds me of the negotiator. It reminds me of that scene (laughs) at the very beginning where Samuel Jackson is trying to talk this guy out, but he is actually just waiting on. Right. He's trying to The right time to. Yeah, he's stalling. He's kind of waiting for. So it feels like Broom's waiting for you know and so it's very but it's well done i like i like that vehicle in any kind of i'm a big fan of stuff like that i like that sort of thing and he also takes out this picture of anders and this is the picture that we saw when he was first recruited in the into the bprd in 1947 where they were learning that he had been a castaway right but he's also i just find it so interesting that professor broom would use he would use something so emotional right to he's just stalling for time man he knows he knows that this guy cannot come back from where he is and yet he's saying you haven't completely drifted off in the ocean of madness simon we can still go home it's a very right we can still go home kind of a thing we can still but no tricked ya we can't right and so that's a very oh broom shit he's gonna do what he has to do to survive even if that involves some very uh emotionally manipulative sure yeah kind of a thing it's a very yeah i do like that that that's a good point and anders he turns away from broom and he starts walking towards this other door he says i'm afraid the tides now have a different plan for me the winds are blowing strong calling my name and he opens this door and all this like kind of magic comes out of it we see like all these kind of um these things in the air that would kind of denote like there's some kind of mystical quality absolutely um and yeah. we see all these kind of animals we see those creatures from the forest there's a crow an owl a wolf a goat a bear you've got every magical <laughs> animal you possibly could right yeah. and so it's almost like even though they're inside this castle the magic of the woods is spilling into it yeah. we even see trees in the background and everything and it's just an amazing reveal and the artwork well, it's like is a dimension. beautiful yeah. the artwork is beautiful yeah. yeah the artwork is gorgeous and it's like it's like another dimension is kind of taking over the you're almost kind of half in half out sort of a thing yeah. right it's, it's like, really beautiful it's gorgeous it's like when you open the door you just kind of spilt in right yeah. Close the door, you're letting the other <laughs> universe in. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And Andrew says, it's calling my name. Am I not to answer their calling? Be seen, you professor. And he hops onto the saddle of this bear. That was and, such a twist. Yeah, it's so crazy, and right? And I fucking... And I yeah. oh, just like, like... Like I was just saying, oh, I like this kind of thing when this happens in the movie. Right. This totally... 
caught me off guard. I think it's beautiful and gorgeous. I think it's an incredible end to, end to this character in, within this story. Right. Not that that's the end of the character or whatever. I mean, you could go on with this whole thing, but this is just such a yeah fucking left turn straight into somewhere incredible and it is so rare that i get to read a story like that it is so rare that you get to see something like that i really dig it and and when you think about all the pacing and when andrews was going on about how i have all these new senses and he was kind of feeling the wall yeah and then so earlier we saw that it was just a wall but to andrews it had a door Yeah. yeah and so i kind of think the same thing kind of happened here you know, there. I don't think Broom saw a door there. No. He just saw Andrews leaning on the wall, sure. and then just opened the wall into yeah. this reality. Hard agree. And yeah, I, I, that's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, I think that it's yet another example of like what we see as totally evil and fucked up. Right. He's on just a different level of right. existing. Well, he he can see and perceive all these other forces and that are magical and qualities. Yeah, yeah, and so to him, he's got a different kind of a. Kind of like how Vivara said, and the cosmos whirls on. Yeah. You know what He's I mean? He's got a different sense of... He's seen the macro... Sure. Yeah. What we would consider very, you know, proprietary reasons and so forth. He's he's kind of... He doesn't see that. He's got a different morality almost. He's got a different... He's within and without of time and space, and he's seen all this other... He's got these mystical animals that are coming in, and they're like, right. yeah. hey, guy, now you're over here. And so, yeah, I, yeah. I dug this page. <laughs> All the guards come in to help Broom, and Andrews and everything is gone. We saw the signal professor. Are you all right? And Broom just looks down at the picture of Andrews. But they were coming in to try and fuck his shit up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They were going to shoot him. So we cut over, and we see the stagecoach pull up to the Brezina sisters. So they've, they've been released now from Andrews, and they're out there. And they go inside the stagecoach and they see those elite vampires from 1947. These were the ones who slapped the shit out of Koenig (laughs) and then sliced his throat or whatever. He will come after us, they say. After all of us. This is most unpleasant. We should deal with him now, the vampire says. most unpleasant. What an understatement. (laughs) This is most unpleasant. (laughs) But there's one big vampire. He says, do not worry. He won't find us. So he's pretty confident about that, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that, my guy. And the stagecoach drives off. Pretty sure he he might. Yeah, you shouldn't have that level of confidence. (laughs) Back at the BPRD headquarters, Professor Broom is having a well-earned drink after all of that. And he's remembering Anders, and he remembers him in the hospital after they saved his life. And then looking all crazy and like shit after he was handcuffed and after he beat up all those people in 1948. And then here he is going off saying, be seen, you professor. I just really like that uh, that You're little right, timeline, yeah. and yeah. he looks happy in this last one. Well, you know I mean, what I mean? Yeah. He's riding a bear. How can you not be happy if you're riding a bear? Although, please don't go out and ride wild animals. <laughs> Are you all right, Professor? And Margaret comes in to his office. The team is here waiting for you in the conference room. She says, "Right, let's do it then." Broom says, "I don't want to keep them waiting. They want to know what their next mission is." Margaret says, "They'll know soon enough." And Broom leaves yeah. his his office. Well, and, it's that guy. Jeez. And so we see in Broom's desk that he's been researching um, all the vampires, and it looks like he's been tracking Anders. It's kind of a Frankenstein situation only, yeah. except Frankenstein wasn't... You shouldn't hunt him down. Right. Because he, he's just trying to be a guy, and he's like, oh, no, and it's tragic. And in this case, the guy is kind of causing a lot of trouble. 
and you sh- he wants to hunt him down and kill him. So I guess it's not at all like Frankenstein. <laughs> I'm trying to say he made that guy what he is, and so now he's dealing with the consequences. Yeah, no, exactly. BPRD Vampire, this was released for a second edition, and it had the Story Lost ones added in there, which we're about to go over in a bit. But it has a great forward by Ba and Moon. They say here that when they finished 1947, they had more ideas for more stories. But before they had a chance to discuss them with Mignola, they had already changed for 1948. And they were doing with John Arcudi and Fumara. Still, he wanted us to continue working on the story of one agent in particular, Bon Moon say. Simon Anders. We have him stray from the rest of the team because of his connection with the vampires. And then our challenge became writing a vampire story, which we fully embraced as it involved going deeper on a lot of the characters in the scenes we had drawn in 1947 that were not part of the Bureau. After drawing the city of Annecy, Koenig, and the Vampire Sisters, we wanted to know more about them. But when you're the only artist, you're at the mercy of the writer's choice of where the story will take you. And we were left curious about where the sisters came from, as well as all the other vampires at Hecate's Ritual. Suddenly, we had a chance to revisit all these characters, reverse engineer their story, and point Simon into a much darker path. After all, he had been cursed by vampires, and we wanted the story to be of a cursed man. We coordinated with Mike and editor Scott Alley and the new creative team handling BPRD, John Arcudi and Max Fumara, to make Simon's permanence at the Bureau clearly a risk to everybody's safety, and to have in the BPRD 1948 miniseries the events that finally make Simon realize he couldn't stay with the Bureau anymore, allowing us to begin our story with Simon going after the vampires who cursed him. We tried really hard to trust the images in our story. Writers trust the words, but we wanted to use the fact that we were our own writers now to write with the images to have silent sequences, to have the important parts of the story play out in the drawings as the dialogue took us somewhere else. Yeah. Because the images tell a story which is much more open to interpretation and therefore a story we don't fully trust. That leaves the reader uneasy, suspicious, and a little afraid. Like someone afraid of the dark because they don't really know what's out there. When Mike writes and draws his stories, he's a very visual writer and we wanted to do the same approach. It worked. You did a good job. Yeah, Very well done. I'm t- t- talking to people who can't hear me, but you did a good job. <laughs> you never know. They might hear you. <laughs> yeah, and there's some great sketches in the sketchbook of Bon Moon uh, sketching out their ideas for the story. We also see them uh, sketching out the covers as well. Here on Storytelling page, is on important. A, you did a good job, y'all. And here on 136, there's that picture of Bon Moon with the Brazina sisters and little Hellboy. And now we're going to talk about Lost Ones. Lost Ones is a short story featured in the Hellboy Winter Special 2018, written and illustrated by Fabio Moon and Gabriel Ba. It is a continuation of the vampire story cycle of BPRD, and the tale is set in Bulgaria. And the story was also collected in the second edition of BPRD Vampire. So we open up in Bulgaria in 1954, and again we get some beautiful artwork of the wilderness by Bon Moon. So... The wolves and the owls. Yeah. The vampire story was also in 1948, right? Uh, BPRD vampire. Yeah, I believe so. So he's been running around for, what, eight years now? Right, a couple years. All right, let's see where we're going. And we see this word blind being yelled over and over. I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation, but it means blood. Jeez. All right. Okay. 
And we see these little guys, those same kind of creatures that we kept seeing in the last story in BPOD Vampire. We kind of see them marching through the woods and they approach this big tree with red leaves, right? They give this speech about how they're gathered here in the core of the woods to protect our lands from evil spirits that might come to possess and poison our crops. And so I guess like the winter is kind of coming to an end and it's going to be spring soon. So they're kind of doing this ceremony to send the beasts of darkness back into the shadows. And so the but the animals are like, nah, you should get out of here and go back where you came from. Right. It's not something you want to hear from a fox and a stag. (laughs) Right. They said, we were here long before you arrived, long before you were born, but we are not the threat here. We have never been. And so they turn into people, yeah. right? They turn into these like kind of forest people. They're like shamans yeah. or something. I like how the, the stag sure. turns the, the hair. It's so good. And one of them says, you should go home, Samuel. And so there are stories of Samuel of Bulgaria. Oh, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. But I couldn't find a specific reference that I could tie to this story. And they say kind of every year these little guys are returning with the same nonsense and the same costume and the same annoying bells. (laughs) All this talk about your land, your crops. We have more important things to tend to during the winter. People with real problems, diseases, curses. Don't waste any of our time with your whining. Just go home and wait until the winter's over. Aw, that whole every year you bother us with this bullshit kind of a thing. But so these little guys, they, they kind of stand up for it and they, they start marching around and chanting again. And this little one says, our number is great and our force is greater. Your foul words will not weaken our hearts. I really like this idea of like, come on, man, we're, we got shit to do. We're really busy. We got a lot of really important stuff. Like, I get it, you know, but come on. Can you just wait till winter's over? All right. <laughs> But no, and so uh, you get the idea that a bear has come into frame and right. says, uh, stop. And they turn around and they see Anders uh, and he's riding the bear and he's got all the animals with him. It's pretty epic, right? He's got himself a nice uh, jacket now. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, he's got a nice little outfit there. And... He's got all his friends. I love the depictions of the animals. Are He, he cuts a very impressive an intimidating figure, yeah. but at the same time, I can't help myself. The animals are all super cute. Yeah. Andrews is riding this this bear and one of these people, I guess it was the stag, right? And it says, sister, is that you? This little guy in the costume, he says this word. It translates to undead. Oh, shit. That's not good. My prison has been too long, the bear says, but I always believed I would return home one day. I am sorry that I disappeared without any kind of warning and sent no word in all these years. It was not my intent. And so the bear turns into a woman. That's cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. This woman explains that when she was a bear, she was tricked by Lord Wilhelm and she was captured in the castle. He kept me there locked. Safe, he said. I had lost hope of ever leaving that hole in the ground when Simon found me. He was lost too. And I promised to help him if he brought me back here. So that was one of the things that he freed out right. of the, yeah. out of Lord Wilhelm's castle. So, yeah, um, the idea that Wilhelm was housing all these kind of animal spirits in there, you know. It's cool that we got the kind of an insight into what all those flipping animals were doing in there. Yeah. Right. That's pretty, pretty good. And so these little guys, again, these little forest guys, they're like, undead, be gone, wicked spirit, be unmade. Bala, demon of three heads, you will not eat our insides. You will not possess our bodies. Take your evil away from our land. This guy. 
And so Anders, he approaches this guy and he just says, you mistake me for a demon. I am no such thing. You may say that I am evil, yes, but it is not you that I seek. Now go, like your brothers did. And so he turns around and all the other ones took off, right? <laughs> all his other little crew left. He's probably like, again? <laughs> and so he goes running off too. And the woman who was a bear, you know, she thanks Simon. And she says that to pay him back, she's giving him directions of someplace he needs to go. There'll be a boat waiting for you to, to cross the Black Sea. You'll find what you're looking for on the other side. Farewell, Simon Anders. And we see this little guy, one of these guys that had these masks on. He's kind right. of watching from the corner. and He right. sees this interaction going on with Anders and the woman. I mean, how could you resist? Like, this is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Let's stick around and see what happens. Simon Anders, are you sure that's what you heard? Absolutely, sir. It's my first time as a Kukari, and I would ever forget that night. All right, so I'm, I'm seeing here the Googletron is telling me <laughs> that Kukari are elaborately costumed Bulgarian men and sometimes women who perform traditional rituals intended to scare away evil spirits. Closely related traditions are found throughout the Balkans and Greece. That is directly read from Wikipedia, Thank by the you way. For this that. is not yeah. knowledge that I had before, but I am learning... Some super cool fucking yeah. shit, and I do plan on researching this further, aka more Googling. Yeah. But it is something interesting that I do want to learn more about, so thank you, yes. everybody yeah. who brought this story to us for teaching us some cool stuff that we're going to learn about now. Yeah, so that's what they were doing back there, and we see he's talking to Stegner. So Stegner, he's looking for Anders, and he's not alone, right? Oh, who uh, is that Hellboy? Yeah, he's got Hellboy, Hellboy with him. It's a friendly... Sight. Sight for sore eyes. And I kind of like how Stegner's in there doing the hard work and Hellboy's just kind of like hanging back. Saying that, yeah. Right? He's just kind of waiting to see what they find out. He probably doesn't want to freak anybody out. Also, this guy up in the, the top of the panel has a Charlie Brown shirt on. Oh, yeah. Or Charlie Brown sweater or whatever. Oh, shit. He totally does. <laughs> but so he's like, oh, so the women aren't there anymore. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're not. We had our best crop in years. The evil spirits are gone. And it cuts to Hellboy. Right. Which I think is yeah. kind of harsh. <laughs> Do you know what road she mentioned? Do you have any idea what port he could have headed to? I've never been that far east, sir. And so we cut outside and Hellboy tells us Stegner, another dead end? Not quite, Stegner says. He's still out there. Somewhere. We get this last panel with Anders. He's sitting on his shore and he's got all the animals with him, right? He's got a little bird on his shoulder, too. Hmm. Yeah, so that's really cool. So what do you think about this story with Anders? And, you know, I want to see where his next adventures go. Well, it really, it tied up some stuff for me, but then it also opened a new possibility of more adventures with this guy. So I think that that's, it takes a lot of skill. It was very interesting because, like, when we started the the 40... Uh, the 40s story it was just like like kind of like going one particular direction and then right. all of a sudden it's like now here we are talking about a new character that we didn't know about a yeah. ago. and I was like yeah. whoa where's this guy going I want to know more about him and his adventures on a bear right. that's such yeah. a tough thing to carry yeah. off it's yeah. a really hard yeah. thing to pull off yeah I agree with you it's like they kind of snuck in a new, new character for us to enjoy yeah <laughs> they really did and part of Moon and Ba's forward in the second edition of BPRD Vampire, they have this last paragraph and they say, The world we helped create and in which we threw Simon's character inside opened so many possibilities and left the reader with so many questions. That was our way to always have an excuse to come back. Nice. In the Hellboy Winter Special, we did. We tried to answer Mike's first question after we finished Vampire, which was, What's the story of that bear Simon is riding? <laughs> Simon's adventures aren't over yet, and neither are we. Fabio Moon and Gabriel Ba. Yay. 
Yeah, so really great, yeah. really great story. Chiming along with Matt Strackbine's letter, I really love 1948, but when I got to Vampire, I think I was starting to get a little bit, I was starting to feel that way a little bit too, of like, mm -hmm. all right, you know, all right, you know, when are we going to get back to Hellboy? When are we going to get back yeah. to the BPRD as we know them? Now we have this other character, you know, Simon Anders, but after actually reading the story and going through it, I really love this character, and yeah. I think it's so interesting in terms of the world building, how they can create this new character out of just kind of nothing. And then now yeah. he's he's a it. guy, I you know, it. he's he's one of the main guys. You know, I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there who are very fond of Anders. And, it's hard to do that you know. in a show, let me tell you. Yeah. To have oh, a new character yeah. show up and to end up being like, oh, it's one of my favorite fucking yeah. so black because then all this other stuff happened. And so to be able to do that, you know... Or in a comic, or I said a show, but in a comic, or a, it feels so much like a yeah, it does. so cinematic. But I think that that is something so difficult to carry off, and I love that they carried it off. I love it. I love that. Yeah, and I really love Gabriel Bond, Fabio Moon. You know, I get, I, I feel like since they had so much of the writing duties and so much of the storytelling duties and their artwork and the way that they talk about oh, it and yeah. everything, yeah. it just makes me want to like look at their work some Absolutely. more and kind of you know, and we invite uh, more all, about them. Yes, yeah. we invite all book club members to do that. I personally have, I've come to appreciate them a lot. Right. I think that that's something that because when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is good, but then now I'm like, wow. Yeah. Very impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to keep kind of sidetracking into some of these other areas of the Hellboy universe that we haven't focused on as much as of yet. So we'll keep chugging along, and now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, share with us your thoughts on BPRD Vampires and Lost Ones. You can send us a hey you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. And you can find the Discord link on our Facebook page. And be sure to check out our friends at Mignolaverse.com and all the wonderful things they're doing over there. And also, once again, thank you to Paul from Gardaharn for that wonderful wonderful theme yeah yeah you can find our podcast on podbean apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from i hope you can talk to a guy he'll tell you to go to a place and then you download it there exactly <laughs> next week we're going to be reading abe sapien the drowning and ogo pogo so pull out your back issues pull out your trades pull out your libraries go to the library Use the app. You know what to do. Grab your back issues and join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks a lot, everybody. I'm John Salinas. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, the only thing we're chasing is the river. Oh. <laughs>